0: Man, it's good to see you this evening for our Sunday evening service here at Cornerstone. Thank you for coming out in lieu of the torrents of rain that you probably experienced at your home this afternoon. I know we did ours. Did anyone lose electricity this afternoon? We did as well and uh, had a little bit of everything this afternoon. Some loud thunder and rain, a little bit of hail at our place, heavy winds, all that good stuff. Hopefully everyone stayed safe and well. Would you join me tonight in the 13th Psalm? We are in the middle of a series entitled, Your Giant Must Fall. We opened a couple of Sunday evenings ago looking at some general principles of our giants that we face. And then last week began naming some of those giants, starting with fear. Tonight we go on to another giant, the giant despair. One of the most well-known books outside of the Bible in... World history is that classic work penned by John Bunyan entitled Pilgrim's Progress. He so well puts the Christian life into an analogy using that character, Christian, who is saved out of the city of destruction. Begins his journey to the celestial city, which is an analogy for the Christian's walk through this life before and after coming to Jesus Christ. And one of the things that happens to the character Christian and his partner who is accompanying him at that point, hopeful, is that they are captured by the giant despair they're thrown into doubting castle when the giant despair captured Christian and hopeful and threw them into the, the dungeon on that first day he beat them mercilessly he left them suffering in that cold wet dark dungeon And when he returned the next day he said to them that they might as well kill themselves because otherwise they would continue to suffer that dungeon. They would be there forever if they did not just end their lives. He brutally left them again, beat them again, and left them to suffer, and that happened day after day after day. So there. Dark dungeon, thick walls, a locked cell door, powerless before that sadistic giant despair. And the problem was that they were without hope. And the reality is John Bunyan captured this so well because... As believers in Jesus Christ, there are times in your life and mine when we go through experiences, that we face circumstances, that we go through seasons of ongoing pain and pressure and problems that lead us to despair. David faced that in his own life and experience. In fact, your Bibles are open to Psalm 13. We'll not read the verses just yet, but in the first two verses, he asks a series of questions, four questions, two of them related to God directly, one related to himself, and one related to his enemies. But if you look at the first two verses, how do the four questions begin with what words? What are they? Re- Go ahead, say it aloud. What is it? The first two words of each question. How long? You see, this wasn't a momentary distress for David. This was not a, a brief period. This wasn't seconds or minutes This wasn't David got to the end of the day and said, It's been a bad day. I hope tomorrow is better. It was a season of pain, a season of problem, a season of pressure. And if you. It was just going, it was relentless. Day after day after day was a bad day. Night after night after night was sleepless. Day after day after day was full of the pain and the problems and the pressures. And you get to a point where it's not just about a season of those things anymore, but you get to a point where you begin to think and believe this is the way it will always be. It's always going to hurt this much. It's always going to be this bad. It's always going to be this stressful. It's always going to be this season of defeat with no victory. It's always going to be this fruitless. You get to that point, and as you look forward, you see no light at the end of the tunnel. You see no future. And I think it's interesting that Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan, excuse me, not Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan, writing this in the middle of the 17th century, saw the reality that a believer can come to the place in his life where he is so without hope that his giant tells him, you might as well do what? Kill yourself. You might as well just send it. We sometimes act as if something like suicide is a a fairly recent um, epidemic to humanity. Here's John Bunyan writing in the middle of the 17th century saying that a giant called despair will tell you, Christian, this is the way it is and it's always going to be this way. You might as well just end your life. In fact, even secular researchers tell us That most people make the decision to attempt suicide shortly before doing so impulsively rather than planning it out extensively. While there are many factors that can influence a person's decision to commit suicide, the most common factor in all suicides is severe depression. And listen to how they describe depression. Depression can make people feel great emotional pain and loss of hope, making them unable to see another way to relieve the pain other than ending their own life. Here's how despair is Defined in the Cambridge Dictionary. Despair means the feeling that there is no hope, that you can do nothing to improve a difficult or worrying situation. You say, Pastor, why do you focus on this? We've all been to a place of discouragement. Usually starts with some distress. I like to think of the four Ds. Distress leads to discouragement often then leads to depression depression's end is despair you may not always experience what they would call clinical depression and depression i do believe can have some physical or organic components can be rooted in physical and organic issues at times But still, when you're in a place of despair, there is a sense of depression included in that. And so ultimately, I would say, the most common factor related to suicide, I wouldn't say depression so much as despair. A loss of hope in believers, you and I can be there. And if there is any giant that will immobilize you and keep you from... Progressing in your Christian life, just as John Bunyan wrote about almost 400 years ago now. It is the giant despair. Look in your Bibles, Psalm 13, as David expressed his heart when he experienced despair here in the first four verses. He says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? And then notice this, forever? Those seasons of ongoing problems and pains and pressures will lead you to believe again what? It will always be this way. David felt as if God wasn't listening. He had forgotten him. He had abandoned him. And it led him to think and even question, God, is this going to continue forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice... When I am moved, we don't know the specific background to this experience of David's life. I I believe that there are several experiences that line up, though, with what David says here. One of them is found in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and I want you to see this text as well. 1 Samuel chapter 30 verses 1 through 6. 1 Samuel chapter 30 verses 1 through 6. The Bible declares here, and it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away. And went on their way So David and his men came to the city And behold it was burned with fire And their wives and their sons and their daughters Were taken captives Then David and the people that were with him Lifted up their voice and wept Until they had no more power to weep And David's two wives were taken captives Ahinoam the Jezreelitess And Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite And David was greatly distressed For the people spake of stoning him Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. Now let's catch up just quickly to where David's at in his life. David was years before this anointed to be Saul's heir. He administered and served Saul faithfully for for a time, for years. But then Saul, out of jealousy, out of an evil heart... He began to to really persecute David. Tried to kill him numerous times. Chased him all over the wilderness of Judah. At this point, David has sought refuge in Philistia. He was feigning himself to be Philistines and was chased out of this city of Ziklag. At that point, the Philistines had decided to go to war against Saul. David was called by the king of Gath to come, the king of Philistia, excuse me, to come and join them. But other elders and princes of the people of Philistia said, no, this guy's our enemy. He can't come. So the king said, all right, David, you need to go back home. They get back to Ziklag and another enemy is attacked, taking everybody away. David and his men are there. And, and the men and David are grieving. David's two wives have been taken away, captive. And now David's own men are speaking of stoning him. You talk about being in a bad place. The people of, Jude, of Judah and Israel, you know, are after him because Saul and his army's after him. Now the people of Philistia, who he's served, at least feigned to serve for a while, don't trust him. Another enemy is david's own men want to kill him for years he's been fleeing for his life after god's anointed him to be the next king david's at a point there in his life where he begins to think it's always going to be this way nowhere to go from here can you relate to david are there times or points during specific times in your life that you've endured circumstances that have led you to slip into despair? Maybe it's issues within your marriage, your family or home that seem like they persist and will never change. Perhaps you've lost hope of you or Renewal and restoration in your relationship with God or others. Maybe you've had a disappointment that's led through those steps of discouragement, depression, and finally despair. And in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 13, what we find out is David's concern was that his despair would lead to his destruction. That's why as he cries out to God and says, how long, he says at the end of verse 3, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy comes and says, he's defeated and I've won the victory. David is concerned that this period... This prolonged season that's left him thinking it's always going to be this way, it's not going to change, is ultimately going to bring about his destruction, not just in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. But here's what I want you to see tonight, because the message is despair must fall. We can be in that place where we face the giant despair. Despair. How can we get victory? I want you to see in Psalm 13 that everything changes when you get to verse 5. You get to the end of verse 4 and you're thinking, Wow, David, I I understand. I've been there. Or maybe you'd have to say, I'm there now. And sometimes you read Psalms like this and you almost start getting depressed, don't you? You? I love the the human element in the Psalms. I love that it's God's inspired word. Because it shows us that some of those things that we experience are not as abnormal as we think they are. But I want you to see how everything changes in verse 5. And it begins with, What often becomes one of the most exciting words in the Bible, even though it's a really simple word, what is it? The first word of verse 5. But, don't you love that? When you're going through something like what David was experiencing as he penned this psalm, and then you can put in that conjunction, but... I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful word so often in the scripture because it often comes in this place where we're on that human side, where we're on that, that fleshly side, human perspective, human wisdom, human thinking, but then God steps into the picture and everything changes. And here's what David says, beginning in verse 5. He says, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart... Rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. The same thing happens, by the way, in 1 Samuel chapter 30. David is distressed because the people have spoke of stoning him after he's already grieving over everything else that has happened. He's beginning to think it's always going to be this way. And the Bible says that, that he was greatly distressed. The people spake of stoning him, 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. But, what? David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David knew what to do when he faced the giant despair. When he got to that place through a season of prolonged problems and pressures and all all that pain... And David began to think it will always be this way. How long, God forever, he knew what to do when he faced the giant despair. In Psalm 13, we find three actions that we must take to defeat the giant despair. Number one, I want you to see this. Rest in God's mercy. What did David say in verse number 5? But I have trusted in thy mercy. Don't miss, read Psalm 13. David is already addressing God. David out his disappointment, his discouragement, and distress before the Lord. And he's questioning God. Do you ever question God? I've had conversations with people at times about questioning God. Is it okay? Is it not okay? Is it ever right to question God? How is it right to question God? And my response is often to point to our greatest example first. And who's that? Jesus. Did Jesus in his humanity ever question the Father? Why have you forsaken me? Yeah, he did. David here is pouring out his heart to the Lord. There may be times in your life when you question what God is doing or even why he is doing what he is doing. But can I say this to you tonight? We do not need to question the mercy of God. I have trusted in thy mercy. David faced the giant despair. But when he did, he remembered and rededicated himself to his former trust in God. You know what the answer to despair is? Faith in God, specifically in his mercy. Earlier in the text, David expressed the assessment of his own reasoning. This is never going to end. It's always going to be this way. But now, he was choosing to trust in the Lord's nature, specifically his mercy. Mercy in this text, so often, we define mercy as what? Not getting what we deserve, right? God withholding something from us that we deserve. And there are times that that is a proper application of the word mercy. But you've got to understand, that's not the application every time you read mercy in the word of God. In this text, the word mercy speaks of the kindness and steadfast love of God. David was saying, I am trusting in your kindness. I am trusting in your steadfast, your love to me and for me in me David understood that this was an attribute of God that he had experienced over and over again he was very familiar with it in fact in Psalm 25 6 David writes this remember O Lord thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses for they have ever been of old this is God's nature To show mercy in this way, as David looked back over the course of his life, he recounted all the experiences of the mercy of God. Not only that, David understood that God's mercies are eternal as he is. When we speak of the immutability of God, that he is unchanging, what we're saying is God does not change in his nature that means when we say God is love, friends, God is love 24-7, 365, 366 on leap year, every year of eternity. When we say God is love, merciful that's true every moment of eternity when we say that god is just that he's kind that he's good that he's gracious all of those things he is that every moment of eternity so you can believe you can trust when you face the giant despair when you're going through that prolonged season pressure and pain and you begin to think it's always going to be this way and you begin to lose hope remind yourself of the mercy of God rest in it God gave the Israelites a beautiful message in Isaiah 49 as they had gone in captivity for their sin and rebellion breaking the covenant the Bible says that they spoke to God and they said this, but Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. After that time, a period in captivity, they they began to think, God doesn't know us, God doesn't remember us, he's abandoned us. But through the prophet god gave what really is a messianic prophecy giving them a clear demonstration of his care through an illustration and application he said this can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb Yea, they may that's not natural but it happens they may but what does god say yet will i not what forget thee behold i have graven thee upon the palms of my hands thy walls are continually before me i love that phrase especially graven on his hands this is the messianic prophecy how israel and by the way how are we graven on his hands hey friends he still bears the nail marks you know that don't you Remember after he was raised from the grave and Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see the prince of the nails, what did Jesus do? Thomas, reach forth your hand and touch, thrust your hand into my side. In this prophecy to demonstrate that God ever forget them he said you're graven on my hands jesus as the god man went to the cross and we are eternally graven in his hands even when jesus sees those nail marks you know what he thinks about you and me He can't forget us. He won't forget us. As they questioned God's mercy, God directed their focus to the future when Jesus, robed in human flesh, would come to the world and give himself for their salvation. When you are tempted to despair, you can rest confidently in the mercy of God. They were to look forward, you and I have the opportunity to look back. Look back to what Jesus did at Calvary. That is how you can rest confidently in the mercy of God and and what does that produce in you? The prophet Jeremiah told us in Lamentations 3, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I what? Hope. What is despair? The absence of hope. Beating the giant despair is to grab onto and retain hope. And that comes through Resting in the mercy of God. Why? Jeremiah said it is of the Lord's what? Mercies. Same idea. Kindness. Steadfast love of God. It's of his mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, will I hope in him. So when you are facing that giant despair... Number one, rest in God's mercy. Number two, rejoice in God's salvation. Would you notice the complete change of emotion? What is David doing in verses one through four? Crying, expressing his despair. In biblical terms, we would say it this way. He is pouring out his complaint to the Lord By the way, friends, as a side note, if you're going to pour out your complaint to someone, make it him. He's the one who can do something about it. David's pouring out his complaint to the Lord, but now a complete change. Not only does he say, I've trusted in thy salvation, but what's he say? My heart shall what? Rejoice in thy salvation. I love how Old Testament and New Testament match up. Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord. Listen, you might go through pains and problems and pressure. You might go through a prolonged season of those things where you face the giant despair. I don't believe God's word teaches us that we need to, you know, be happy about those circumstances. But we can rejoice in God in all things, can't we? David says he's going to rejoice, not in that season of despair, but he's going to rejoice in salvation. The word here has the idea of deliverance. David believed that God would bring deliverance because he had been delivered before. He was distressed, but now he's jubilant. What made such a difference in David? One thing that you and I need to understand Prior, David was controlled by his feelings Now he's controlling his feelings Friend, there's a big difference You need to be cautious in life About being controlled by feelings When you begin to be controlled by your feelings You need to get into your head and your heart The truth of God's word And begin to allow his truth to take control. Look, if you would, at our main text for the whole series, 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is an example of God's salvation, his deliverance in David's life. David had faced difficulty in the past, and it gave him reason to rejoice in present difficulty. 1 Samuel 17, verse 33. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine, the giant, to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Listen carefully. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear... He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Notice this. The Lord that delivered me here is going to deliver me here. David says, because God's delivered me in the past, I believe that he's going to deliver me now. Because he's delivered me from this problem in the past, I believe he'll deliver me from this problem now. Verses 45 and 46. Now, David's addressing the Goliath, the the giant. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord, what's that next word? Deliver me. It's not an accident. He delivered me from the paw of the lion. He'll deliver me from the hand. Now God's going to deliver you to me, he says, The Lord will deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee. And he goes on. He rejoiced in God's salvation. That is, he rejoiced in deliverance. So, friend, when you are facing seasons, when you are confronting the giant despair, make up your mind to rejoice in God's salvation. He's delivered me before, and he'll do so again. And then I want you to see, thirdly, Rest in God's mercy, rejoice in God's salvation, remember God's goodness. If you would, Psalm 13 there, again, look at verse 6. Psalm 13, you're probably still there, I'm not, so I'm making my way there. Verse 6, I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. That's interesting, isn't it? How long, Lord? Are you going to continue to forsake me? Have you abandoned me forever? How long are you going to turn away from me? How long is my soul going to to be sorrowful daily? How, How long are my enemies going to be exalted over me? God, how long is all this going to go on? Now, he says, I'm going to sing praise to you, God, because... You've dealt bountifully with me. David turned from the problem to praise. He turned from the difficulties and instead focused on the goodness of God that he had experienced again and again. Listen to the words of Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. For we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Listen to me carefully. One of the best things that you can do for yourself when you are in a season of prolonged difficulty, when you are facing the giant despair, is sing. Put on some good, God-honoring worship music. Sing along. Friends, there have been times in my life where music has done more for me than anything else. You say, Pastor, that's saying an awful lot. Did you know that, that even secular world research backs this up? In fact, one study showed that singing has these benefits. It relieves stress. It stimulates the immune response. It increases the pain threshold. Here's a good one for some of you. It may improve snoring. It improves lung function, develops a sense of belonging and connection. It enhances memory in people with dementia. It helps with grief. It improves mental health and mood. And it helps improve speaking abilities. All of these have been empirically proven through research to be benefits of singing. By the way, God says there's an additional benefit. It is spiritually beneficial. In Ephesians five nineteen this speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the lord it's good for you to sing to praise his name you say pastor i'm in a prolonged season of pain of pressure of problems I'm facing a giant despair. I'm in that place where I think it's going to be this way forever. You want me to sing? Yeah. Sing out in praise to the Lord. Going back to John Bunyan, who very wisely wrote of this in his analogy, Pilgrim's Progress, says, Christian and Hopeful were there in the Doubting Castle, facing the giant despair. John Bunyan writes, so what did Christian and Hopeful do? They prayed. They prayed from midnight almost until daybreak. They prayed and God answered. Christian suddenly remembered, what a fool am I. Thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty, I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. So they tried the key in the dungeon door. It opened. They went out and tried the key in the castle door. It opened too. So they escaped from Doubting Castle and the giant despair by using the key of promise. And here's how John Bunyan... Uh, expressed that analogy to the Christian life at the bottom of the page. He said, precious promise, the promises of God in Christ are the life of faith and the quickeners of prayer. Oh, how oft do we neglect God's great and precious promises in Christ Jesus while doubts and despair keep us prisoners. the change evident in this psalm could not be more noticeable. What had happened? You've heard me teach and preach this again and again, and it's true again here. At that point, had David's circumstances changed? Had the season-longed problems, pains, and pressures ended? In Samuel chapter 30 as the people are speaking of stoning him and David is greatly distressed, but then he encouraged himself in the Lord. Had anything changed yet? Yes. Not the circumstances. David had changed. When you are facing the giant despair, You'll experience change when you stop focusing on the feelings and the foes and instead, by faith, focus on the Lord. You think about even Israel in the Valley of Elah. Why was the entire army immobilized? Why were they afraid, hiding in their tents, not progressing anywhere? Because every morning and evening, the giant walked down into the valley And the Bible tells us they saw him. They saw the giant. What made David different? He looked at God. And remember, friends, when we speak of the giants, whether that giant be fear, whether it be despair, what's true of that giant already? It's defeated. Jesus has already gone down into the valley for you and even when you're in that prolonged season he is with you turn your focus to the lord when you face the giant despair turn from that those feelings and the foes to the lord the change may not be a change in your circumstances immediately But the change will take place in you when you stop focusing on those other things and instead, by faith, start focusing on the Lord. So when you face the giant despair, rest in God's mercy. Rejoice in God's salvation. Remember God's goodness. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of God. I pray tonight that if someone is in that prolonged season where they've been tempted to despair, where they're facing down that giant, they're they're beginning to think it's always going to be this way, nothing's ever going to change. Father, you would help us to turn our focus toward you. I don't know tonight, there may be someone here, there may be someone watching who even recently has had thought of of ending their own lives. I pray if that's true, that right now you'd get a hold of them. You'd help them to reach out to those who can help them. And Lord, if it's not gotten to that point for others, that you would please intervene now. Help turn their focus away from the problems and the pains and the pressures to you, to your promises, to your truth. And we'll be sure to praise and thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And all God's people said.